Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Arthur Companies podcast. My name is Patrick Erickson. I'm again your host today, and I am here with Justin Cannot. How are you doing, Justin? Very good. Good. Justin, why don't we start off with uh, learning a little bit about who you are and how you got here? You bet. Um, Justin Cannot came up, brought up in Red Lake Falls, Minnesota, grew up on a dairy farm up there. Um, Went to University of Minnesota Crookston for a degree in agronomy. After that, I went to North Dakota State, did a master's in entomology, got to work on a cool uh, bug project for a, a pest that was showing up in sugar beets and sunflowers, and did a, a couple year stint there. After that, I started working for the North Dakota Department of Agriculture. Okay. Did a couple years there for uh, working on regulatory invasive species. Um, phytosanitary certificates, exporting product out of North Dakota. Sure. And been with the other companies for uh, a quick 14, going on 15 years. Quick 14, 15 years. Cool. Yep. And a little bit about your family. Tell us about your wife and kids. Yeah. Married to Kelsey. I've got a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 15-year-old, Bridger, Emerson, and Lily. Awesome. And and what school? Hope Page. Hope Page. Cool. Yep. Yep. A little uh, little known fact that Justin and I, our careers uh, didn't intersect uh, until we both came to work here at the Arthur Companies. But but when we were both at NDSU, we were both in, in Bison Court married student housing. So uh, both both dirt poor and, you know, live, living on love. And and Justin was my RA and I went, went to him for a bug ID. <laughs> Back when 500 square feet was all you needed. That was all you needed. It was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget taking like a pill bug or something to my RA for identification because I believe you were also my entomology TA, if I remember right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, time flies, that's for sure. So and the other interesting thing about Justin that everyone should know that his personal email address is Bugs Rule, right? Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. So we've got uh, we've got a resident entomologist with us today, and we're going to talk a little bit about soybean seed treatment. So. Uh, your education will come in handy here as we talk about about bugs and uh, even the ones that rule how we want to kill them sometimes, right? Yep, sometimes we need to. Yeah, so we're, we're going to talk soybean seed treatment. Justin, why don't you just start out with kind of the basics of why we would ever treat our soybeans? Yeah, so, you know, we just want to talk through some of the things. We've, we've gone to lengths, you know, going evaluating what's available out there in the marketplace and just kind of want to talk through that with you you guys and just say here's what we're offering and, and why um as a general rule recently we've been cutting our seeding rates on soybeans and, yeah you know some of it's due to seed costs um some of it's just because we don't need that many seeds out there um and i and i think that's a lot of valid points and a lot of valid reasons why we're doing that uh you know white mold right there's a less of a battle right. if we have less seeds out there um and i think it's just a very valid point as we do that like let's protect what we're putting in the ground yeah, and give it the best protection. And we're getting just more precise on what's needed and uh, let's protect it. So, um, you know, my saying here, a lot of times you've heard me say it a lot of times that we, we really suck at what's below ground, right? It's, it's yep. really hard to diagnose. Uh, it's really hard to know. And my other joke is that, you know, at least I went, I went to school to study bugs because at least I can see what the heck I'm working at. Yeah. I took a lot of pathology classes, and most of the time, you're just trying to figure out, you know, what pathogen are we working on? You know, right. it, 
at least I can ID a bug. I, it's really hard to ID a, a disease. So most of the time, we're even just struggling figuring out, you know, what are we dealing with? Um, and that's, that's one, just a kind of a cool new diagnostic test. We've been working with trace genomics there, and we've been doing a lot of soil samples. And the last two years, we've been, you know, plugging a lot of soil samples to them, and they can tell us, give us a, a lot better analytics in terms of, hey, this is what DNA we're finding. And, you know, our, for a lot of years, we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, yeah, it must be Phytophthora. The roots are brown. And right. You've got some water issues. And, gee, it must be Phytophthora. Well, yeah, Phytophthora is a big problem. But, you know, with those samples, we're also finding out that we got a lot of Rosectonia. We got some Fusarium. Right. You know, we got some Pythium. We, it's just, you know, and some of these fields are a mile or two apart. And right. it's, it's not all Phytophthora. Yes, a lot of it is, but it's not all Phytophthora. Yeah. And, and we'll probably, for, for everyone listening, uh, we will probably do a follow-up podcast specifically on Trace Genomics. They are a, they're a pretty unique company with some pretty exciting technology. And, and essentially, we're, we're mapping the DNA of the soil. So as Justin said, it's microscopic. We don't see what's going on behind this, but beyond the, beneath the soil surface. So what, tra- what Trace Genomics is doing is giving us an opportunity to see that. And those tests made us aware that maybe it wasn't always Phytophthora. It was something else. But let's back up here a little bit. What are the four primary root diseases in a soybean crop? Yeah, so the, the ones that we see a lot is, you know, Phytophthora, which we talk about a lot. We always have talked a lot about. When you buy a soybean seed variety, we usually tell you, hey, it's got this gene or it's got good field tolerance, um, which are important. Um, but then we also have Rhizoctonia. We've got Fusarium diseases. We've got some pythium diseases or damping off diseases. Um, there's a couple other minor ones. Um, there's also a new fusarium disease that, you know, according to our trace tests, uh, we have some sudden death syndrome, which is a brand new one. Right. Um, so that's uh, another one that we have to try to figure out. We don't know much about it. First couple times we've, we've seen it, we saw it a little bit last year. We did get some symptomology in our in our plots and just trying to ask the questions about it's just, you know, is this a big pest for us yet or not? Um, it looks like it's, you know, it's going to be. I don't know if it is or not yet, but it looks like it, it looks like it will be, and it's another one to start paying attention to. And it's pretty substantial in the in the I states. I, yeah, I states, Iowa, southern Minnesota. Yeah. A couple years ago, it moved north really, really fast once yeah. it got to southern Minnesota. Yeah. And even though it's a, it's a fusarium disease, it is not, uh, it's, it's not, Covered by, I mean, we have to we have to pick a specific fungicide to cover sudden death syndrome. Correct? Yeah, yeah. So you know, we're doing some of that work too, and looking at some of these specialty fungicides. But yeah, the our our the seed treatments that we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, none of them have much activity or any activity at all on sudden death syndrome. So that's we do have some options. Yeah. Um, and there is some genetic resistance out there. It's just we just really don't have a good you know a varietal understanding of what's working where right and what isn't yep yep cool wet versus warm dry soils generally speaking we're uh, we're more concerned about fungal diseases when it's cool and wet walk walk us through a little bit of those four primary diseases and what they like yeah so we always you know think about the cold right and and yes that that really matters for pythium and fusarium um but the warm also really favors the Phytophthora and the Rhizoctonia. Yeah. So, you know, both they're, they're worse in dry, um, or they're, they're worse in wet, I mean. Um, but 
they can also be an issue in dry, but it's not necessarily just, you know, the temperature favors some versus others. So. Right. Yep. Cool. Well, we spent a fair amount of time here. Well, we spent a fair amount of time every year choosing seed treatments, truthfully. But here, two, three years ago, we spent we spent a lot of time on it. Uh, Justin and I did to pick a seed treatment that made some sense for us. It's interesting, and it's it's I think it's interesting to note. Okay, we we had phytophthora on our mind then. We really did. And here, recently, with these trace samples that we're taking, we're we're, we're thinking a little bit more about rhizoctonia. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we've picked we've picked a fungicide that is very effective on both. Um, tell us a little bit about the fungicide that uh, that we're choosing. Yeah, so um, we've been running with Vibrant Trio, and uh, Trio for three different active ingredients in it. Um, kind of the the lead one is one of the oldest, Methanoxum Metalaxyl. They're different isomers of the of the same molecule. Um, we've been using that thing forever. We've been using that thing for yeah. 40 years. Um, it's still active. We don't know of any resistance. Um, could be an issue eventually, but right now we think it's working really good um, as long as we're using the high rates. And that's the really important thing. Um, one of the directions that we went is with methanoxum. We said it's an isomer. It's, it's half the size of metalaxyl. So we can really push our rates and still get really good flowability. Yep. And uh, that really helps for the Pythium and for the Phytophthora is what we're going after there. Okay. Um, the next one would be Flutioxanil, and that really helps with our Fusarium and our Rhizoctonia, which again, we're you know paying more attention to Rhizoctonia all the time. Um, the other ingredient in the, in the trio is Cetexane, um, also picks up some Rhizoctonia control, and it also really helps with some early season vigor. We get it pop out of the ground a little bit faster, so... Cool. Yeah. So that's the, for those uh, who may have heard of uh, Apron Maxim or Vibrance. Those are the three active ingredients that we just talked through. Not actually in that order, but close. And uh, and so uh, the the combination thereof gives us a, a really broad spectrum uh, control of these four primary pests and in, in soybean seedling diseases. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. We it, we uh, we've we've uh, we spent a fair amount of time with some metal axle seed treatment and uh i remember i remember uh, a few barrels of metal axle being agitated by as best as we possibly could to get the best coverage we could and we got it done but it wasn't easy right one of the one of the better uh, or the bigger um, benefits to using this particular syngenta product is that we get pretty good uniform coverage so yeah it can be pretty chalky and yep. really unfriendly yeah. in terms of in the cone and getting it on the seed treat. Um, yeah, we were having a lot of issues with, uh, you know, and, and those old, older formulations of metal axle, you have issues with keeping things in suspension. And then I always, you know, would worry about, you know, effective dose. Again, super important. You, ne- you need it on every seed. Yeah. So so just uniformity of the coverage is just super important. Yep. yep. Okay, so that's that's those are the primary fungal pathogens. Let's talk bugs a little bit since bugs rule. Let's talk about bugs and soybeans, Justin. Yeah, so uh, you notice I didn't didn't talk about an insecticide there. Um, those are all fungicides. Um, you know, sometimes we need an insecticide, sometimes we don't, and um, you know, we really like to provide the options and you know talk through. Do you need an insecticide with, with that on your seed treat? Um, you know, as we head west in our trade area, get a lot more small grain. We have small grains in rotations. We have a lot more wireworms. Um, wireworms are something that, you know, 
they they tend to, they're the adult beetles are attracted to um, usually a grass plant, so anything that's pasture or sure. most likely wheat in our area, right? Wheat or barley. Yep. They're really attracted to that, and they're going to lay eggs. And those eggs hatch in there around there for say three to five years, usually with depending on species. And um, you get a hefty populations of wireworm. They're gonna they're gonna chew your seedlings. They're gonna do a lot of damage. They can also do damage on on soybeans and corn too if they're out there. Um, so you know sometimes we do have to add an insecticide with that, but sometimes we don't. Um, yeah. And you know more prevalent as you as you head to Harvey, Animus, central part of the state. Yeah. Um, for the most part in our eastern geography. We're not doing enough wheat in our rotation, so we don't usually need the insecticide. So most of the time, if it's not needed, let's let's not put it out there. Um, but if you do need it, you know we we have some we have some neonic options, um, and we also have a, a brand new option from BASF called Taraxa. That's a really cool um, AI, uh, brand new this year. Hey guys, just a quick point of clarification here, Taraxa is not labeled on soybeans, only small grains for the 2021 growing season. Now back to the podcast. Um, if you have a wireworm problem, that's something, you know, ask your ask your agronomist about. It's uh, uh, a neat tool to have. Yeah, certainly it's, Taraxa is, is a, uh, is kind of a next generation kind of a product because it's very specific to wireworms. If I'm understanding correctly, it doesn't have much activity outside of wireworms. Correct. Yep. So, that that's unique, and and that is an, a note here as we as we move, do move west from where we're sitting. We're sitting in Pillsbury here today. That wireworm pressure goes up, which is why for those of you listening, we we primarily recommend Cruiser Max Vibrance soybeans. The further west we go, because the wireworm pressure goes up, and actually the root disease pressure goes down a bit. So Cruiser Max has lower rates of mephinoxum, slightly lower uh, protection against Phytophthora, but we're, we're, we're layering that protection with genetic resistance and genetic traits, and therefore we feel a little bit more confident about one, less confident about, about the insect pressure, and, and we choose uh, Cruiser Max Vibrance. So note that, we, uh, that all agronomy is local, and we do our best uh, to look out for your best interests and choose products that you, you truly need. So... Bugs aren't it. So the, the, maybe the last topic or second to last topic here that, that we want to cover is soybean cyst nematode. Justin, tell us a little bit about that pest. Yeah, so soybean cyst nematode, um, not quite a bug, but close enough, so I'll take it. Um, it's a microscopic <laughs> roundworm. It parasitizes the soybean plant roots and is really, you know, it's a, it's a parasite on there. Okay. It, it sucks um, nutrients and, you know, water, and it also provides an infection point for a lot of other things. We talked about SDS earlier, right? The, right. the new disease. Um, it's really interesting that where they have problems with SDS, it's in the areas of the field that has that have a really bad uh, soybean cyst nematode population problem. So yeah. they really, they run together, you know, and, and they make each other worse. So anyway, it is a microscopic roundworm, uh, feeds on the plant roots. It moves around um, via water. The actual, the, the cyst itself is actually the the mother's um, encapsulated body. That's where okay. the, the cyst comes from. It's full of eggs. Sure. And, you know, anytime you have any overland movement of water, they float. Okay. They're moving, they're moving downstream, unfortunately. Um, you know. Can you wind. see it at all, Justin? 
Yeah, they're actually they're actually good size. Yeah, they're, okay. they're you know maybe the say the size of a, of a maybe a period on a piece of paper. Okay, um, they're good size. Yeah. yeah, when if you dig them up, if you dig roots up, if you're really careful when you dig them up, yeah, yeah, you, you can see them on there. And they, okay. you know, when if they're alive, they're kind of a, a lemon yellow, they even look like a lemon almost, a lemon shape. Okay, on uh, and right on the right on the the root, um, and then as they as they die, they get kind of a leather brown. And, um, yeah, and then the, the, the eggs are actually kind of protected in there. It's like a little little purse little protects them, and then it moves them around, too. And they can move via wind. Um, tillage will move them, you know, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, you get these heavily, heavily clumped areas, right? Like, it's usually wherever they move into the field. Whether, so whether it be on a tillage equipment, whether it be, uh, you know, water movement so there might be a waterway that they get you know moved into a field you get these areas and after you plant a susceptible soybean or maybe even a resistant soybean for long enough you, you know they the populations blow up okay. every, every time you plant soybeans there um you know you've got probably a few thousand times more than what you started with sure but you know it's initially it's just these point infections and it's uh it's just a heavily clumped distribution I always usually kind of like to point it out like this. Like if you, if you knew nothing about mankind and you just picked a random spot on the globe, you know, chances are it's either going to be in the middle of an ocean or a desert or a forest. And there's going to be nobody there. Right. Until just random chance you, you know, plop down in the middle of New York city. Right. right? And there's right. people everywhere. And there's, yeah. So it, it's a lot, it's a lot like that. You sure. think about these distributions. They, they're just yeah. heavily, heavily clumped. And yeah. it's the, you know, it's this biology that, that leads to that. Yeah. Um, but it, it makes it, really hard to know when you have a problem because you know sure maybe you know there's there's reasons sometimes there's water ponding you know there's all kinds of reasons why sometimes you don't get very good yield out of an area and you might right. have an area where the, the beans didn't do very good yeah uh, but you know if you if you're seeing that you know start asking some questions and, and don't be afraid to call an aci agronomist we can go and we can take a soil sample Re- really you know cheap inexpensive yeah to get that and just, just so we know what we're up against because maybe it is something else but if it is cyst we need to start taking some steps to control that and just make sure we're not letting them get out of hand if, if the populations do get out of hand i, I kind of liken it a little bit with like a forest fire you can you can put out a little fire and you can deal with a little fire but once the populations really get out of hand yeah it's really not much we can do unfortunately genetic resistance only goes so far uh, we have some some decent treatments, and they help, um, but there's nothing bulletproof yeah. when it comes to this. And unfortunately, once the populations get so high, really the only answer we have is to plant a non-host crop. Rotate out, yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about the soil sampling, about the egg counts, and, and, and the work that you and your team have really done to identify the pest. Yeah, so, you know, the there's been some commodity groups that have provided some free testing and we've, we've done a lot of that so we feel like you know in our eastern trade area we've we've fleshed out you know some pretty good areas and, and it, it's pretty much everywhere and it's just a matter of you know do you have a level that's that's low that you can deal with are we medium or are we high yeah. and and we have a lot of that and yeah. you know it's changing soybean economics for us unfortunately when when that you know when and when you're trying to do a crop plan um, it's really affecting our yields and it's, you know, it's changing that decision. So just something to, to be, um, just to be cognizant of if you haven't tested and if you see some of these areas, um, probably a smart time to do that. Yeah. Maybe even before we get in the field here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I believe uh, I believe it is the single most uh, damaging. Um, it eats up the most profitability of soybean producers in the entire nation. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest pest, right? It's a billion dollar pest. Yeah, yeah. it's bigger than Palmer Amaranth, bigger than everything else. It is soybean cyst nematode, and it's kind of the silent killer. Yeah. It is. It is, yeah. and it's below, again, it's below ground. And we, we, yeah. we stink at yeah, we stuff. We stink at it. Yep. Soybean cyst so. nematode sucks. That's yeah. that's the quote of the day. Yeah. I I think we should just bank that one and call this a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we doing? What are we doing about soybean cyst nematode here at the Arthur Companies? Yeah, so you know that the soil test will tell us a lot about what we what we need to do. If if the populations are super high, we're unfortunately going to say, well, you better plant something other than soybeans or dry beans. That's right. It's gonna it's gonna kick our butt again if we do that. Um, if we're kind of in the middle or low, you know, we have we have some pretty good options. One is we can pick a v- variety. That has some genetic resistance. Okay. Uh, right now, all the seed companies, uh, you know, most of what we have has some genetic resistance. Um, it's a little bit of a, of a misleading thing when you look at a seed book and you just say, hey, this is a SCN resistant variety. Most of the time they say, you know, it's either resistant or MR, moderately resistant or susceptible. And that's, it's kind of a lot more complicated than that. Okay. Um, basically, all, what they're saying is they started somewhere in the genetic background of that variety. They started with a, a you know, a variety that it, it's probably PA PI eight eight seven eight eight, which is the the by and large just the only resistance that we're using in our varieties. There might be a little bit of a peaking. There's a couple of other ones that are starting. You know, the breeders are starting to use a little bit more. Yeah. But for the most part, it's all a single source resistance. Yeah. Which obviously, if you know, if we're all using one source, um, it is polygenic, so it's going to be harder to break. Um, however, the question is, and the misleading part is, what actually came through after they, you know, they crossed that with other lines, and you know, we were trying to add yeah. on other defensive traits, other, you know, obviously yield traits. What is that final product that we're putting in the ground? How good of genetic resistance sure. does it? It's have? It's tough to keep that purity all the way through. It is, and uh, an yeah. R and MR isn't super descriptive. We right. need to get a lot better at that, and yeah. that's a, a challenge, and that's something that we, we try to do is we try to, you know, recommend varieties that are really, really good, uh, you know, with yeah. bringing that resistance all the way through to the final product. Wouldn't you field. say it's even a little bit hard to find those hot spots? And, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about the work you've done in evaluating products, but in regards to resistance to moderately resistant, um, Egg counts can change, just like you said. When you put uh, spin a globe and put your finger down on the globe, you could you could completely miss a population. It's the exact same with a, a soil probe, mm-hmm. even in a hot spot. Yep. Egg counts vary widely. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a huge huge problem when you're trying to do a soil test, and you know that's what that's why we pull a bunch of probes and not just one, and yeah. we mix them together really thoroughly. But yeah, we, we have done work the last two years and we're going to continue this where we're working on some hotspots by Arthur that, you know, we've had cysts there for 25 years, probably longer. Yeah. And, you know, we're evaluating, okay, what does genetic resistance by itself look like? What are, um, you know, some, you know, we're talking about Aveo in a minute. What does Aveo look like? Um, what does Saltro and Ilevo, um, different um, chemical, biological, you know, treatments. So what do they actually do? One of the ways we try to kind of, you know, factor out that spatial variation is to go through and and do a five by five block with these different treatments through it. And we're taking a soil probe every six inches, 
mix that together and then actually do that before and after. Sure. And see, hey, does this, what is this doing to our population? And, and when you're doing that early, you don't, you know, we don't really know um, where those are. And every year we found a hotspot and what, what I've done, what I've learned the last few years is, is a lot like what I said earlier is you get into a spot that's got 10,000 or 30,000 uh, eggs in a yeah. hundred cc's of soil, but let's call it a cup of soil. Yeah. It, I mean, we're massive numbers here. Um, none of these treatments work. Yeah. They, they just, they just don't. The, right. the, the, the nematode is going to win. We're not going to be happy with our yields. Yeah. Um, but that's it on the, on the bottom side, right? when we're, when we're going after a small population, these treatments, they do a pretty good job. We've been okay. pretty happy with the veil. Good. Um, a, uh, a, a bean with good genetic resistance, it, it, it can do a pretty good job with keep with battling them back. Um, your populations don't really go down, yeah, but they don't blow up on you, right? And again, that's that's mostly what we're trying to do is just let's just not blow this thing up. Right. If we do a susceptible soybean on a field that you had soybeans on last year, you're going to blow it up. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna yeah. absolutely explode those populations. And on a year like this, we're gonna you know be planting a lot of beans again. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, is the bean you're going to plant this year, does it have genetic resistance? It's a you know, great question. Did, yeah. did it come all the way through? Did, did, does it have really good genetic resistance? Yeah. Um, you know, we're switching pla- trait platforms really quick here. Right. And uh, not all of them do, unfortunately. Right. Yep. No, it's good to note we're, pu- we're pushing our soybean rotation all throughout the state. Uh, we're pushing our soybean rotation, and as we go beans on beans on beans, if, if you're if you're out there listening and your soybean yield has plateaued, and you haven't done an egg count test yet, I we encourage you to do so. It is such a it, we've called it a silent killer. That's it. It will slowly rob you of yield, and and the hot spots. You're kind of half lucky, would you say, Justin? You're kind of half lucky if a hot spot shows up because it prompts you to go look. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. If you know the in the in the seed world. I mean, if, if we're finding if we're finding or in the soybean world, I guess the worst case scenario. And I've I've unfortunately had a couple of these. If we find a high soybean cyst pop population with a with a combine, yeah. And what I mean late. is is when the guy calls and yeah. says, "Boy, the, the bean didn't run very good." Yeah. And we start digging in, and we find a really bad cis population that we didn't know about yeah it's a bad day yeah it's, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible day yeah so. it's too late it's too late um we're uh we're, we're almost wrapped up here a uh, couple quick comments about our inoculant choice justin if you would yeah um so vault ip um again it's it's a it's a good inoculant um one of the best in the market um it also the ip it has a a a biofungicide in there. Right. Is an, again, another mode of action against Rhizoctonia and Fusarium. That is, a, again, another good option on controlling kind of the whole the whole platform there. Yeah, and it, it kind of stretches out our protection. A biofungicide, it's a biological fungicide that when colonized in the soil, uh, the efficacy increases, and therefore we've got our Vibrance Trio or our Cruiser Max Vibrance early to protect against these diseases and later that that integral biofungicide that you find in vault ip uh prolongs that that protection i know we found dead plants in july that turn out to be a root disease that you know um you you think you're out of the woods yet and, and you might not be so that's that's why we've chosen vault ip 
So yeah, it's a good point. And um, you know, like fusarium, sudden death syndrome that we talked about before. I mean, that's something that gets infected early, and you don't see any symptoms. Yeah, until late, really, until like July when you start seeing some really you know funky uh, leaf symptoms on the top of the plant. And, uh, yeah, then it, all of a sudden it's there. So um, just to back up a little bit, talk a little bit more about Aveo, and, and that, that's an option that we do provide, too. It's a biological seed treat. Yeah, good point. That we have been using a fair amount the last couple of years. Yep. And so it's a biological, it's a living organism. We put it on there, so it's, it's actually a, it's a, it's a bacterial uh, pathogen of the actual SCN. So it actually, good point. It actually affects the nematode itself, and it, it paralyzes them. And if it's paralyzed, it's, it's not moving, it's not infecting, it's not feeding. So that's another point. another one that we have been using, in, again, an option. Yeah, and you're going to see, I think you're going to see this trend in our industry, more biological products and less chemical products being released. Uh, and, and and if you look at Taraxa, we got a you know, plug-in on Taraxa here earlier in this episode, and it's, it's very, very specific. It is not broad spectrum. Um, that is going to be a trend. More biological products and more very, very specific products in our future. Yep. 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 So, yeah, just, just to sum it up, I just want to just say that, you know, like you said, the agronomy is very local. Absolutely. Um, we can, we customize this, right? We, we, we don't offer every, everything under the sun, but we, we have thought through these, right? The best yeah. fungicide, we the have. best insecticide options, the best nematicide options. And, you know, we give you the options about what do you need to use what do you want to use? And this is all a budget. How is how are we best going to spend these dollars to get you the most yield, the best return at the end of the year? That's right. Yep. Well put. Well put. No, I think that's uh, I think that's a good way to cap this off. Um, as always, um, we, I'm sure we left some things unsaid. So come on in and talk to us to get some specific recommendations for your field or uh, just to learn a little bit more about what what you've heard today. So thanks, Justin, for joining us. Until next time, this is the Arthur Companies Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys.